Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help. With the aid of my favorite wrestling show, this is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We run headfirst into the raised foot. That is the episode of NXT (laughs) that originally aired on May 1st, 2014. In this episode, there are two women's matches on an episode for the first time in our coverage, and it is fucking awesome. It is. Welcome to episode 50 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, we said goodbye to Corey Graves, Mm -hmm. at least as a wrestler, and it was almost as sad as that running leg tackle he used to do. Oh, Miles. Miles! (laughs) Sorry. This episode, though, this episode we're celebrating, and not just because there are two women's matches, but because it's episode 50, Bob. It is. We have been doing this show now. For 100 weeks. Oh my gosh. And what better way to honor this milestone than with a special, woman-filled edition of Bob's Breakdown. Of course, we do have to ring the bell for one of these women, so that's a bit of a buzzkill. But Mm. uh, I think we can get the party going again with the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. After which we will send everyone home happy with the fireworks show that is the Cheap Pop Quiz. But before any of that, it is time to find out. If Bob has even more reason to celebrate. Oh my gosh. Because we need to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. Bob has eight points currently in our fifth round of quizzing. They need 15 to secure a bonus romance novel episode with a guest. (sighs) Let's see if that got any closer to becoming a reality. Question number one. Which two wrestlers independently debut an absolutely fucking iconic change to their entrance in the next episode? Was it A, Bailey and Sasha Banks? B, Bailey and Bo Dallas? C, Bailey and Tyson Kidd? D, Sasha Banks and Tyson Kidd? E, Bo Dallas and Tyson Kidd? Or F, Bo Dallas and Sasha Banks? You went with B, Bailey and Bo Dallas, and you were correct. Hell yeah. I cannot wait to talk about these. I had many emotions. Question number two. The next episode also features the latest chapter in the Adam Rose Camacho feud. According to a backstage promo with Devin, what is Camacho's beef with Rose this week? A. He hates parties. B. He hates parties thrown by people like Adam Rose. C. He throws better parties than Adam Rose. D. He's never been invited to an Adam Rose party. Or E. He got invited to an Adam Rose party once. He was super excited about it. uh, And then it turned out to be lame. (laughs) Bob, you went with the answer C. He throws better parties than Adam Rose. And again, you are correct. Heck yeah. Nicely done. Thank you. Let's see if you can make it a clean sweep. Question number three. On the next episode, Brodus Clay challenges Adrian Neville for the NXT Championship in a no-disqualification match. Who wins and what's the status of their feud? 
A. Neville wins, comes out of the match looking strong, feud over. B. Neville wins, but Brodus attacks him after the match, indicating the feud will continue. C. After getting pretty much dominated from bell to bell, Neville wins with a roll-up, indicating the feud will continue. D. Neville pins Brodus, but the ref is down, and when Neville goes to revive him, Brodus gets up and hits a powerbomb to win the championship. Or E. Brodus wins the championship without controversy. Bob, you were so close. I know! I was rooting for you so hard. You talked about how you wanted it to be A, but instead you chose B, yeah. and it was A. You know, it's sometimes you have to follow your heart, but sometimes your heart's dumb, so it's it's hard to know. Well, speaking of what the heart wants, I think my heart wants Bob's breakdown. Naked Mole Rat CEO Daddy Triple H is out on the mic to address the NXT audience and reminds us all of the great wrestlers that NXT has produced, including taking credit for Cesaro and The Shield, which I was like, <laughs> yeah. okay, yeah, they were here, I, I guess. <laughs> he does a dad thing going, and we have a new diva. What's her name again? Audience goes, woo. What's her name? <laughs> audience, Paige. That's right, Paige. It's like, oh my god, okay. It reminded me so much of, like, talking to my son right now and looking at a book and being like, Rowan, where's the butterfly? And he, like, he just wants to turn the page. I want to turn the page, Dad. No, you can't turn the page. You have to identify you tell this. Me where the butterfly is. <laughs> and Miles, quote, it's like NXT is taking over the world but wait that's not all nxt is gonna have a special on may 29th 2014 live on the wwe network r.i.p nxt takeover oh my gosh very first one it is i am really excited about it so i guess we're getting set up for that which is amazing miles before we dive into all of this a yes. big overarching question. Do okay. you think that the reason NXT was so uneven, not bad, but uneven in these first 50 episodes had something to do with the lack of a pay-per-view to build towards? Like, to what extent does wrestling require culminating events that are decisive like pay-per-views in order to work? I think it requires them in modern wrestling. Mm-hmm. Like, So wrestling didn't always have that. In terms of how NXT operates, it tends to be a little bit more old school. It's like an hour-long show. They book their shows in a way that you might expect that is more like reminiscent of older wrestling than newer wrestling in a lot of different ways. But I do think they have trouble operating without the the sort of pay-per-view structure mm-hmm. as was brought to us by Vince McMahon uh, and the WWF. Just because that's how wrestling operates these days. So I, you can do wrestling without that. I think it's very possible. We've seen NXT you know, do things like, you know, they, they hype up the big championship match. They kind of make one episode the pay-per-view in a mm-hmm. weird way, and they kind of build to it like it is. And, like, other companies do that, too. AEW does that. Yes, that's true. And NXT, even today, will sometimes do it in between takeovers. So you don't need it, but it does help. Okay. I'm going to start covering this at the beginning of every breakdown, because I think it's important to have this in mind. Our commentary team for the episode that originally aired on May 1st, 2014 is Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, and William Regal. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. (laughs) Match one. Tyson Kidd high-fives his way to the ring, and then a new entrance package thing. 
This yeah. is Bo Dallas, a camera soaring low over a crystal lake rimmed with majestic snow-capped peaks, stirring orchestral score, the words, Bo Leave, and some positive screams of joy from the crowd zoom in on Bo doing a thumbs up. There's a no more Bo chance after that. <laughs> the bell goes, Kid and Dallas lock up, and then Miles, something quite extraordinary happens. There are dueling chants of let's go Tyson and let's go Bo. Something is going on here. I'm going to save my questions for the end, but the audience's relationship to Bo has just undergone a sea change, it seems. I honestly think it says more about Tyson. <laughs> okay, fair enough. When you get to the end of the match and Bo's in the ring and they're all kind of like booing and laughing at him and saying, na 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 na, hey, 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 goodbye. You know, like, they're still like booing Bo Dallas out of the building. I just think they're having more fun <laughs> with him. And I think this entrance is like, it's so over the top that people were kind of getting into it a little bit and like, hey, Bo Dallas, you know what I mean? But only because like Tyson Kidd at this point is such like a nothing babyface character. Yeah. Like, we, there's really not much to latch onto with him. No. So I think that's one of the reasons that that happened. Because the audience, their relationship with Bo by the end of the match is right back to where it usually is. Bo knocks down Kid and then does a thumbs up at him and says, don't stop Bo leaving. There's another <laughs> chant going on in the background. I couldn't make it out. There's a lot of chants this episode. And I made yeah. out one in eight of these chants. They were hard to hear because they weren't like super unified a lot of the yeah. time. So Kid gets control and beats Dallas down enough to haul him into a suplex. He's planning a high flying move, but Dallas drops down, rolling out of the ring. All right, fair enough. Kid dances those little goat hooves over to the ropes and nimbly hops over to the apron, goes for a kick. Bo grabs the incoming hoof and shoves it back, unbalancing Kid so he flips face first onto the apron. The audience is singing Whole World in His Hands, but I think they're singing bow world in his hands maybe i'm not i'm not sure i don't know why else they would sing that song unless they were gonna do a pun but well it's because it's uh something that they sing during bray wyatt matches these days in the main roster okay in one way it's kind of like the yes chant where it's like or, or like sometimes crowds these days chant for cm punk when they uh -huh. get bored just because so it's like one of those things okay but also i think it's because they know that bow and bray are brothers wrestling audiences are so strange i i enjoy them so much but there's they are a another character in the show and they're an unpredictable character which is an additional <laughs> joy and frustration and you cannot interrogate them you can't go why were you doing this you just have to right. context clues i think they probably were chanting he's got the bow world in his hands though because like uh, why would you not do that yeah right so back in the ring dallas takes control of the match and clotheslines kid before applying a headlock Kid punches his way out, throws Bo into the ropes for an Irish whip. He's going to leap into a dropkick and get Bo in the snoot. But Bo, canny competitor that he is, clings to the rope to stop his Bo-mentum. <laughs> Thank you. Kid dropkicks the empty air and tumbles to the mat. Bo tries to throw Kid over his shoulder like so much salt. But Kid lands on his feet, heads for the corner. Bo pursues and eats an elbow for his troubles, followed up by the clinging thighs of a head scissors that sends Dallas headfirst into the turnbuckle. Miles, turnbuckle. Mmm, turnbuckle. Dallas wrestles back control, but when he does his belly-to-belly -belly suplex, 
Kid kicks out of the pin attempt, and that's his finisher, right, Miles? The belly-to-belly suplex, usually? It definitely used to be. Recently, he's been using that butterfly DDT that he oh. does, where he like where he butterflies the arms and then drops them back on their oh. head. So when a wrestler debuts a new finisher like that, a lot of the times what will happen is that their old finisher becomes like a signature move that people kick and- out of. We'll talk more about that when we get to the, the Sasha match. You totally need to cover signature move on one of these wrestling terms of the week. There's not a ton to it. It's just like it's a move that a wrestler does in like every match, but it's not their finisher. But I want to know all about it. I want to know the okay. secret history. Okay. Miles, I am the person, we'll that guy from the meme with his hair going crazy and his hands like this going aliens. Like, I want to know <laughs> the secret the Masons are involved, right? Tell me everything about signature moves. I'll see what I can do. They're passed down from generation to generation. Nick Cage <laughs> is hunting for one desperately. You have to get the Constitution and pour lemon juice on the back of it to find out about the Blue Thunder Bomb. This is really important to me. I mean, that's definitely a signature move. So it seems like you already know what they are. Well, okay, fine. I want I want an elaborate <laughs> pile of bullshit to go with it. Speaking of weird bullshit, a bole, 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 bole. Chant strikes Man, up. You were really on these chants. I didn't hear some of these. Oh, I was fucking delighted. This was like just chants left and right, and they were so interesting. Kid tries to make it to the top rope. Bo foils his attempt and Kid ends up on the apron. He kicks Bo in the head and jumps back to the top rope and then flies at the now dazed Dallas, flipping over him to bring Dallas down to the back of his head. Kid slides in for the pin and takes it. Is Kid's final move a cutter? Is that a cutter? No, it's so it's a neck breaker. It's a neck breaker. Yeah, it's actually that specific version is called the blockbuster. Okay. It's an understandable mistake to make because they're extremely similar. Really, the only difference between a cutter and a neckbreaker is that with a cutter, your opponent is like going face down into the mat. And with a neckbreaker, they're going face up into the mat. That's really the only difference. It's still grabbing their head and dropping, but it's just like where the opponent is in relation to that changes what the move is called. Oh, well, okay. That. (laughs) See if I fucked that up in my fanfic later. (laughs) the match fades to the next segment on the site of Bo screaming at the audience that he did all of this for them and the audience singing hey 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 goodbye so okay miles i was gonna ask you is a new entrance the signal for the audience to reevaluate their stance on a wrestler it's like this change signaled something to them and they all got it. And I got it too, but I have no idea what it is that I got. But I felt something different about Bo because of this. Maybe I just felt more. Maybe that's all I felt. I think in the two cases that we're seeing on this episode, Bo and Bailey, what you're experiencing is an addition to their entrance that fits really well with the character they've been portraying. Mm-hmm. So it's like it just makes sense. Okay. And when you see. When you see something like that where it's like, oh, we're going to add this piece to it and just fits so well. Like the thing with Bo, with the fucking, the camera swimming over the landscapes and the music and the Bo leave. I mean, it fits so well with what he's doing. It does. And and it could have been added weeks ago. And so I think there's just a general sense of appreciation for it's like, okay, well, this fucking works. Yeah. You know? 
And when you see the character more fully realized, I think there's a natural inclination to appreciate it. You know, it's like, cool. That is exactly what you should have done. Well done. And especially in wrestling where it's like so many times Mm. you're like, oh, my God, that is not what you should have done. Yeah. (laughs) Or they just have a nothing of an entrance. Yeah. So when you get something like that where it's like, oh, this is really brilliant. You know what I mean? There's a tendency to appreciate that. Okay. So backstage, Camacho and Devin are chatting. And Camacho is pissed because he's not a party pooper. His parties are incredible. Gives no relevant details to support this thesis statement. (laughs) Guys, I do want to say Camacho, super hot. Like, is is so incredibly hot and lovely. Just a winning smile. And I think we all need to appreciate Camacho more. Okay. He's good on the mic, too. Yes. He has it all going for him. Yeah. Adam Rose interrupts to say, my party's rule. And that, like, that's just how it is. And then all the party gang descends and starts mosh dancing, which I don't know. Dancing is hard. (laughs) So a guy in a luchador superhero costume moshes directly into Camacho, who is rubbing his face in his hands like, Lord, give me strength. He gives a long stare at Adam Rose, who isn't even looking at him, and then slowly walks off. Miles, I felt shippy vibes. Like, (laughs) I know this is not traditional shippy territory, but a guy that wants to be noticed and a guy that is too involved in his own stuff to notice anyone is classic. (laughs) That is such good ship fodder. So I was really feeling it, even though they don't like each other. But I'm like, that's hardly an impediment to shipping. That is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So backstage, promo from Bailey. My heart exploded. <laughs> I felt a zillion shippy vibes here, too. Bailey has gotten so damn good on the mic, and I am so proud of her. Bailey says, and I quote, The NXT Women's Championship is more important to me than 10 hugs from John Cena, 5 high fives from Big E, and... And like a combination of both from Paige. (laughs) Heart eyes. I'm like, oh my God. Remember whenever Elle was here and they said that they felt baby queer energy from Bailey? Yes, it is all the baby queer energy. And I was like, you beautiful baby queer. I love you. (laughs) And we get a promo from Sasha Banks. Sasha's not great on the mic yet. I feel like now when I see her on the mic, she's gotten so much better she's she's much better than she was on the mic for sure it's still not the thing she's best at no what she's best at is being fucking incredible in the ring it's uh promo work has always been sort of the weak point in sasha's game but she's definitely better now than she was at the time it's hard man you can either script the hell out of it and practice 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 which is you know going to get you one kind of result or you can just be so in character that you can wing it. And boy, that is a very dangerous game to play. It is. But basically, she's going to hit Bailey so hard, it's going to knock her side ponytail straight, which I thought was a great line. Match two, Bailey has a new entrance with flailing arm and flady things. <laughs> I loved it so much. And I'm so glad that they splashed out the money to get her that because I think it adds so much to her entrance. This is one of two things that happened in this match that, like, it's incredible when you look at where Sasha and Bailey are now. And we'll talk about the other I one know. later. But, I mean, those two men became such an important part of her character to the extent that her heel turn involved destroying them. Oh you know? So it's like, yeah, this is a huge deal. <laughs> they are so beautiful. And it was a magical entrance. I loved it. The boss enters. She's owning the space. Her outfit, golden red, very Wonder Woman. The bell goes and Sasha is high on rage and a desire to win. Her moves are sharp and pissed. Sasha and Bailey trade some moves and then in a very Bailey move, 
Bailey picks up Sasha in a bear hug and slams her into the corner. I want to note that I am exaggerating. It was more like a soft shove into the corner. (laughs) And honestly, the hugging part looked more intense, but I appreciate that about Bailey. So Bailey spins Sasha around and does the angry moth flutter slaps, which I thought was like, oh, rude to be using Sasha's move against her to the extent that one can call that a move. Right. To the extent that is one of Sasha's signature moves, uh, it was turned around on her. Yeah. And Bailey does a backdrop that floored me. (laughs) I don't think I had ever seen one of those. It's the dirty dancing lift gone sour where you just keep going. I don't think I've ever seen it in a women's match before. Miles, am I misremembering? Or is this one of those moves that they didn't always let women do because they're like, nah, women can't do that. They're biologically incapable. I'd be a little surprised if we hadn't seen it before. We definitely haven't seen one like that before. It's the backdrop is not one of those moves that's like, oh, no, women can't do that. But even though I don't think it was like explicitly banned, I just don't think it was the kind of thing that you were seeing a lot because it wasn't the kind of wrestling that was being done. Okay. The fact that she throws that backdrop and the fact that it's such a huge, impactful backdrop speaks a little bit to where we're going. Nice. Bailey does her signature belly to Bailey suplex, which is usually when Bailey goes for the pin. But Sasha rolls to the apron, gathers herself after bouncing Bailey's neck off the ropes when Bailey comes over to finish Sasha off. Bailey tries to go for the pin. She's like reaching for her, but Sasha rolls out of the way. Yes. And Sasha scampers in, wraps those well manicured hands around Bailey's neck. There's a do do spin, so they're back-to-back, and then backwards fall into what I thought was a cutter, but is a neck breaker. That is breaker. a neck breaker. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is called bankrupt. Is this Sasha's new move? Did she always do this? I don't remember. This is her old finisher. We just haven't oh. seen it a ton because she hasn't been winning very much. Oh, okay. Well, Bailey kicks out, so there we go. Sasha is dismayed, but then just fucking leaps like the world's most dangerous toddler, hands around Bailey's neck and shoulders, Drives her knees into Bailey's low back, and then that cruel fall backwards to stab those pointy knees right into the kidneys. Mm-hmm. Backstabber. Then she grabs the fallen Bailey and wrenches her chin back into that bow-like submission that I hate seeing because it makes my neck twinge. <laughs> Bailey taps out, so Sasha is going to the next round. Match three. It's the Exotic Express with Adam Rose's crew. They've got everything. A cat girl. A luchador superhero. The Easter Bunny, a guy in overalls. (laughs) Everything you need to get the party started. So he's going to fight hard case Danny Birch. Danny Birch is so unimpressed by any of this. The entire crowd is swaying arms and singing along to Rose's theme song. The bell goes and they almost don't need the match at all. Like Rose is so over that they're just screaming, party time, party time, before anything happens. But stuff does happen. Rose does his little series of somersaults in a circle around Birch. Like it's the weirdest way of doing a warding spell imaginable. (laughs) Like, hold on. I need to protect this area. Hold on. I'm just going to do this bunch of somersaults around you. Give me one second. Now you're safe from demons. You put like salt in your pockets so that it spills out around you. (laughs) You're like, no, no, that only the demons only respect the sacredness (laughs) of this circle. If you do the somersaults, that's a key part of it. Oh my God. Birch takes control, bonks Rose into the turnbuckle. Rose goes super saiyan, just, ah, and hits Birch in the face a whole dang bunch, does the crotch torpedo, and then a move where he just stands next to Birch like they're buddies. 
and throws them both face first into the mat, which, because wrestling has the logic it does, hurts Birch, but not Rose. Yeah. I want to say for anybody who goes, ah, wrestling, I can tell it's weird. That's not logical. I'm like, the amount of times fucking superheroes do shit like that. And everybody's like, oh, that's fine. Right, I know. I'm like, if you buy that in a comic book or in a fucking superhero movie, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's not the best executed version of this move. What he's technically trying to do is... He grabs Birch's head and instead of doing the cutter thing where he like drops, he like pulls his head forward and drops himself forward too so that technically mm. Birch's head is going into the ground, but his, his isn't. I don't know. It's a weird move. I've never liked it as a finisher. Yeah, I don't hate it, but I don't know. If you're going to do a thing where you both end up falling, I'd rather it be a Russian leg sweep just because I love whenever they just throw themselves backwards and they're like, ah, fuck standing up. <laughs> so Rose pins him for the win. Cue the return of the Exotic Express. But oh no, Camacho crashes the party. He careens into Super Luchador, felling him in battle. <laughs> Camacho smiles and heads backstage. Rose comes down from the ring and cradles Super Luchador's head in his lap. Oh, Super Luchador, barely we knew ye. <laughs> Can I tell you something about Super Luchador? Please tell me everything about Super Luchador. Super Luchador is Garrett Dillon. <gasps> oh my god from like back in right right at the beginning of our coverage holy crap he's not back for very long but they brought him back to play the stupid rosebud i love it good for them all right it's backstage oh dear god no it's brodus clay in a beanie to whisper about how he's the baddest in the world baddest in the world and he is wearing a ton of fake tan that darkens his skin considerably. Yeah, Miles, I, I think I speak for both of us when I say it's very uncomfortable. Yes. Equating a heel turn with increased blackness. Mm-hmm. I do want to say Brodus Clay is black. Yes. But this colorism, super problematic, and I hate it. I don't know, and I don't know that we can ever know, if it's something that he was told to do, or it was his idea, or... You know, creative suggested it. Like, I don't know where the blame goes for any of this or if the blame is shared, but it's super fucked up. Yeah. There's not really anything else to say about it other than don't fucking do this. Black people experience colorism and are often treated differently based on how dark or light their skin is. And it's a goddamn problem. Yeah. Not much more to say. I don't know whose idea it was either. It's not just not a great look. Not a great look. Nope. Boo to this. Match four, Miles, a second women's match. What have we done to deserve this bounty? I mean, we put out a pretty good podcast. Oh, you know what? That's right. That's That was our... It took us 50 to get a fucking second women's match. <laughs> I know. All right. Natalia versus someone new. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's Fandango's dance partner. What's her name? It's Layla. Well, Layla says she's going to dance her way to that title. I'm like, all right. You know what? Layla gets an early move in right after the bell goes, does this little mocking dance. Natalia pauses going like, oh, all right, it's going to be like that. Okay, I can play. They do this touch of technical wrestling, and it didn't do anything for me in terms of going, oh, this match is a thing. No. But what it did do is it made Layla look credible, and it was really weird for me to realize that I felt differently about Layla immediately upon seeing her get Natalia into an arm twisty thing. Yep. And I was like, what is this just magic? It's like 
the barest minimum of manners makes you feel differently about somebody and go like, oh, look at you. It's not that necessarily that you're like, you love it or you hate it. You just feel differently about them. And you're like, oh, you're a person that does X, Y, Z thing. Yeah. And it was very weird to go, oh, technical wrestling. It doesn't matter if you do a lot of it or a little bit of it. It's like going to a restaurant that has the salt in a little like bowl on the table. So, you know, it's fucking fancy. (laughs) And you're like, Oh, I see what kind of situation this is. It's a salt bowl situation. I was like, oh, all right. Salt bowl wrestler. Okay. <laughs> Layla gets Natalia down and wrenches both arms back, pressing her knee into Natalia's back. And I am as much a victim of the patriarchy as anyone because I want to admit, I saw Layla's outfit and was like, oh, I get it. Your job is to be pretty and you can't wrestle. Mm. Friends, I was incorrect. Yeah. Layla can absolutely wrestle. That does not save her from being suplexed by Natalia. Natalia locks in the sharpshooter upon having her low back cranked. Layla goes, nah, I'm good, and taps. Yep. Both women's matches ended in tap out. Now, we have discussed once upon a time that tap out is seen as a sign of being weaker and can sort of damage the image of a male wrestler in some ways if they tapped out too much. Sometimes, yeah. So, Miles, tagging you in, do you think that's less the case for women's wrestling? Like, are tap-outs more common or less damaging in that context? Or have I just happened to see more tap-outs in women's matches during this run of NXT? I think it's less the case in women's wrestling right now, uh, like, in this moment in NXT, and, and maybe in general. But, you know, it's interesting. One thing I noticed is that both of the tap-outs happen really fast. Like, Bailey taps out quick, too. I'm going to talk about this more a little bit later, but the move that Bailey tapped out to is the bank statement. It's the first version of the bank statement, which will become Sasha's main finisher. Oh. So you've got Sasha with the bank statement. You've got Natalia with the sharpshooter. Charlotte will get a submission finisher at one point. Paige has a submission finisher now. Emma's had a submission finisher since the beginning. So one of the reasons for it is that all these women are doing submission finishers. But I think what you can read from that is the fact that part of what helped and the NXT women's division sort of restore the glory of women's wrestling in WWE is the fact that they were being presented in a way that was sort of designed to like overcome the past decade of like bullshit where it's like okay not only are we doing this but like these are all technical wrestlers they all have submission finishers they all can make you tap out Right. Because the ability Mm. to make somebody tap out is a big deal. If you can make somebody tap out, then you're good at wrestling. Right. So Ah. I think that in this particular moment in time, you're seeing it a lot because that's part of how they decided to present the women's division. And I think that went a long way toward legitimizing it. Now I'm like, well, if only they'd give Mason Ryan a tap out finisher, like a submission move. I'm like, everybody would believe he's wonderful. (laughs) Somehow, I I doubt that that's true. But anyway. That's not happening. (laughs) Backstage, Adrian Neville's teeth are fixed. Yeah. He's worked too hard to lose to someone like Clay, and he's going to beat him in the center of the ring. All right. Fair enough. Match five? Four? Five? I think five. Yeah, I I think it's five. I can't count. (laughs) Oliver Gray is here to heal around and sneer. He's fighting Raleigh. Friend, I'm putting my arm around you. Let's not spend more time on this than necessary. Yeah, he was a face last time we saw him. I don't know what's going on here. (laughs) Yeah, I feel real bad for Gray. So he's being a bit of a cowardly heel, avoiding Raleigh until he has an opening. Beats Raleigh down until Raleigh regains his hypeness, does his butt dunk finisher. 
And then my love, Aiden English, comes out on the mic to say, I don't suffer fools, and you're here. I'm done suffering it. Same, English. Same. He attacks Raleigh, but Raleigh gets him on the back foot, dumps English back out of the ring. So I guess they're going to fight, and I am very curious to see if English can make me believe that Raleigh can wrestle. (laughs) And we get the don't try this at home reminder. We haven't talked about it in a long time, but folks... Don't try this at home. No. Or in the park. Or in the park. Don't let your friend hit you with a steel chair in the knee in a public park. You tell me now, where were you, God, 18 years ago? I know. Half my life ago, Bob. (laughs) God, I'm old. For more on that story, you can absolutely go to (laughs) patreon.com and and subscribe to The Next Wrestling Fan and get more bite-sized tidbits in the cutting room floor episodes about poor decisions that probably both of us have made. So main event time, it's a no disqualification match for the NXT championship. So there is nothing that, you know, will get a disqualification. You could do whatever you want. You just punch somebody right in the throat and that's fine. So Adrian Neville has merch. He comes out and it's very cute. It's very space superhero flying above the planet. And I was like, I wonder if I can get one of those on eBay. And then, uh, Jesus Christ, they introduced Clay as being from the concrete jungle. So all the black tropes, huh? It's real fucking gross and I was pissed. The bell has not rung yet, but Clay grabs the championship from the ref. And then like a dog, when you take a toy and they're pissed about it, Neville's like, oh man, you touched my championship. (laughs) Goes bananas, starts attacking Clay. The audience is chanting something. Neville runs at Clay and flies into a drop kick. He heads to the top rope and jumps at Clay, only to get shoved into the corner. Clay hangs Neville up in the ropes and then a butt attack from Clay. They call it a hip attack in wrestling because they're fucking cowards. Absolutely. Nothing about wrestling is more true than the statement they call it a hip attack because they're cowards. (laughs) Clay gets to the second rope, bounces down to dunk his butt on Neville's chest. Then he gathers up this little hobbit, has him on his shoulder back down. So he's just sort of bowing unnaturally across that shoulder, which that genuinely does look painful as a person with low back issues. (laughs) Clay goes to the top to splash down on Neville. Amazingly, Neville kicks out. So now we're going to get some of that no DQ action that we were promised. Clay goes to the outside, gets the championship belt from whoever the heck was holding it. He's going to bring it in. He's going to bean Neville with this. Instead, he gets a kick to the head, downing him. Neville goes to the top to do the red arrow or the 450 splash thing. Can't remember. He does a bunch of flippies in the air, and it's very good. It was the red arrow. Okay. He pins Clay for the win. That's it. That's it. Miles. Miles. For a no DQ match, this was fucking nothing. Not anything. (laughs) Okay, in a no DQ match. So I mostly watch, I watch a lot of AEW. But in a no DQ match at AEW, it is but two seconds before somebody is throwing tacks into somebody else's eyes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And then this one was... Well, we might touch someone with the belt, and then we don't. And I was like, why the fuck did you make it a no-DQ match? I expected somebody to be through a table within two minutes, and nothing happened. It's baffling. I actually have a little bit more to say about it later, but it's, it's, uh... Dude, It boggles please. the mind. 
It does. I was like, you you really hammered. Everybody kept saying anything could happen. They're like, but it fucking didn't. <laughs> so anyway, Clay is handled. That's the end of the match. Fine. Like, I liked a lot, but fine. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? I mean, that both of the women's matches were tremendous. I really enjoyed them, especially in light of how far Bailey and Sasha have come in the ring. They just bring a different energy than they did when they first got here, and they continue to grow so quickly. It's like you can almost see their finished forms already, and that's amazing to me. Okay. Well, we are going to get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling and talk a little bit more about uh, all of this. But before we do that, we do have to ring the bell. We are ringing the bell on this episode for Layla. Okay. She came into WWE actually after winning the 2006 WWE Diva Search. Oh. She was briefly part of a recurring sexy dancing segment called Extreme Exposé. No. And she's a former model and dancer, so that's also a thing. Okay. And she ultimately formed the team Lay Cool with fellow wrestler Michelle McCool, and the two of them had a ton of success as a duo. Uh, This was a thing that really stuck and worked for them. Layla was actually the last WWE Women's Champion under its original lineage before it was retired and folded into the Divas Championship. Laycool was also a major part of the second season of Game Show NXT, where the rookie they were mentoring, Kaval, who was actually a 12-year veteran of the independent scene, better known as Loki, ended up winning the season and having... An extraordinarily brief run <gasps> on the main roster before returning to the Indies. He was there for like two months. What? It was really weird. Was his gimmick being Loki? <clears throat> I, we can't talk about his gimmick. So okay. his his name is Loki. It's spelled L-O-W dash capital K-I. Okay. So like it's meant to invoke Loki, but it's not. He's a weird guy. (laughs) Okay, I'll do some Googling later. Very good wrestler, very strange man. Layla made a few more appearances in NXT as well prior to the start of our coverage, but this is the last we're going to see of her. At this point, she is actually super involved with Summer Rae on the main roster. She replaced Summer as Fandango's dance partner. Gasp. I think Summer was hurt. Oh. And uh, that's why she's not in this tournament is my guess. Summer's going to come back very soon. The two of them will go on to feud over Fandango. Mm. But then they will ultimately both turn on him and join forces. Ah! Which is kind of great. They formed a team called the Slayers, and there's so much potential in this that I can't even fucking handle it. But unfortunately, it didn't really go anywhere. <sighs> and it would be Layla's last major WWE storyline. She retired from wrestling in 2015, about a year after this. So, uh, nice to see you for a minute there, Layla. Yeah, thank you. We will maybe go back and watch your old stuff sometime. All right, Bob. I think with that, it's time to get into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Okay, this is really stupid. And I say that sometimes, and sometimes it's never as stupid as I think it is. But this Tyson kid is just finished with his entrance. He's standing on the apron. Someone Mm -hmm. walks past in the crowd about second or third row deep, 
with a side table held above their head. And I just <laughs> noticed it every damn time. And I was like, what are you doing with a side table? Why are you walking through the crowd? Why now? Where are you going with it? What are you doing with it? Is it yours? Are you a stagehand? If so, why are you walking through the audience? Like, give me a WWE 24 on this guy. <laughs> I need to know. <laughs> All right, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? I mentioned earlier, but Sasha pulls out the bank statement for the first time in this match, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Like, it's noticeably her first time doing Aww. it on camera. She will get much more fluid at it as time goes on, but... It's a great move. The backstabber into the crossface is a fantastic move. And just for it to happen on the same episode, like coincidentally, as Bailey debuts the wacky, wailing, inflatable arm waving two men mm-hmm. is just like really cool. It's just like Bailey puts this new part of her character into the world. And now Sasha's got her, her regular finisher for the first time. So again, as you were saying earlier, just really neat watching these two evolve into their like modern persona in real time yes so bob what did your vulcaneers hear i don't know if you heard this and i hope to god you did because it was so fucking tremendous okay william regal what are they called rosebuds (laughs) i'm his strawberry i'm his special strawberry that's what he told me and i was like william regal in what context was that said to you sir Look, I'm not going to get into how that would be used in a fanfic, but let me tell you, it would feature very prominently in a sex scene. And I was like, uh, are you just saying that Adam Rose has fucked you? Like, is that what you're telling me, William Regal? <laughs> so he's so on point in this episode. I, I just want to put out there, they have fucked. And <laughs> William Regal, apparently hella into it, was like, I am still his special strawberry, so. Well, you didn't even mention the follow-up, which is that he says, Byron, you're a prude, and Byron just fires back immediately, prunes are good for digestion. (laughs) 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 All right, Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Well, I was going to pick that, but I I just knew in my heart that you were going to take it from me. I I knew it, Uh, but that's okay, because the other thing my Vulcaneers heard was the fact that Triple H... Uh, apparently went way too hard on the karaoke or something because that man's voice, it's usually raspy, but you can tell it's not even this one because he shows up like on the next couple of episodes too and talks and he's because it's the same taping. He's still got the voice problems going on. And man, I don't know if he went to a concert. I don't know what he did, but like that man damaged his voice. Uh, All right, Bob, for this episode, what did your human heart feel? Love for Bo. Really big love for Bo. Because he's out here leaning into this thing and making it work and getting something from the audience. And I don't think the audience appreciates not how good Bo is. Like, that's not even the point, but appreciates that Bo is making it work and giving them something to enjoy in a way that I don't think. I think they love interacting with Bo. They love hating Bo. And I don't think they even realize how much they love hating Bo. I agree. And it makes me so glad that my coverage starts with Bo Dallas in this weird way that I never expected. Because I know he's never going to be a big thing. And he's going to kind of fade away. And I know he's no longer working with the WWE. And that fucking sucks. I hope he finds success somewhere. Because 
He's legitimately amazing in a way that I think very few people can pull off. And it's not because he's amazing in every way. It's because he's amazing in ways that compensate for the fact that he's not a natural star. And he fucking makes that work. He does. It's one of those magical character runs that you would never know about unless you went back and watched old NXT. I mean, even Arrival's the tail end of it. Arrival's when he loses the title. I am also so glad that we started when we did and that we got to see the entire evolution of this character in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think going back and watching some of the stuff that he was doing before we started would be kind of fun. But yeah, it really is like this really amazing little run of incredible work from somebody that people don't know who he is and they don't know about this. You know what I mean? It's a hidden gem. It absolutely is. Miles, what did your human heart feel? I love the, the DQ free, no DQ match so much. <laughs> just, it's just me. <laughs> because it was bad. Miles, you are famously an opponent of bad things and here you are. Right. But here's okay. two things about it. First okay. of all, I love how strong it makes Neville look. Like, fuck you. I don't need mm-hmm. no DQ. What the fuck ever. I beat you before by one rule. Now there's another rule, I'm going to beat you again. I love that the first thing they did with Neville after he won the title was like, here's this big motherfucker, and you're just going to make him look stupid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then the other thing is that me being who I am, and not being a huge fan of hardcore wrestling, and hating the fact that every time there's a no disqualification match, the tags come out immediately, I'm just like, yeah, "Yeah, fuck all you! Look, sometimes... (laughs) In wrestling, I can, there might be a scenario where a match is known as qualification, and it just doesn't end up coming into play. And that's okay. And I prefer watching that to watching somebody bleed all over the place. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm a sucker for a tiny head injury that, like, that just bleeds profusely, but it's actually like a nick. It's not like I don't think blood is really effective when it happens sometimes. It's not even that I don't enjoy all hardcore wrestling. Like I have enjoyed numerous hardcore wrestling matches in my time. I have, it's been a thing that I've liked, but as I get older, I think I find myself liking it a little bit less. Cause there's more, I'm more cognizant in my head of that. These are real people and that they're going through this shit for my entertainment. And like, while I think that bleeding can occasionally add to a match and I don't think it should be like completely taboo. Like at this point, I don't give a fuck about your exploding barbed wire. I just don't fucking care. Like, <laughs> Oh, you should watch it, though, because it's real bad. Not to make this all about AEW. Like, it's not just AEW. But, like, NXT, modern NXT does the opposite thing, where they're like, oh my god, this is going to be so hardcore. And then it's just like, by that we mean lots of chairs. And I'm just like, why don't you just not I do know. it? If you're not going to do it, then just don't do it. Like, if you're... Just do a no disqualification match where yeah. there's no actual weapons here. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer that. I like it. All right, those were the sight, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We're going to get into wrestling term of the week, or wrestling history of the week, rather. But first, we have to get Bob's fanfic explaining last episode's wrestling move of the week, which was Cutter. So, Bob, take it away. Raymond Reddington calmly folded his suit jacket, laying it beside his glass of red wine, and stepped into the ring. Dembe had his opponent ready, standing bound and gagged. 
<laughs> now, Mr. Bain, I understand that you're considered quite intimidating among the circles you frequent. You've gathered the attention of some notable vigilantes and the like. He began applauding warmly. Good for you. I certainly remember when I had my first run-in with someone carrying a baseball bat and lacking a sense of self-preservation. Something of a rite of passage, Bane grumbled. Unbind him, if you would, please, Dembe. Dembe gave Bane a warning look and cut the bindings. I know a bit about your history, and I'm duly impressed. Peña Duro is where you were born, fighting from birth to survive? Mother's lifeless body thrown to the sharks off Punto de Tiburón? I've been cage diving there. It's breathtakingly lovely in the spring. But your story, Bane, is the kind of story to move the soul of man. However, I'm not inclined to feel that just because someone has suffered that they can act with impunity. Impunity like running an underground fight club in a city where I am also running a promotion of my own. You see, a bit of friendly competition is one thing, but I've heard that the working conditions in the Arkham promotion are not on the level. <laughs> Bane pulled his gag down and snarled, I am a necessary evil. There will always be people that hunger for the darkness. Those that want to play in the shadows. Shadows that belong to me. Raymond held up a hand. You're correct, of course there will be. People like you and I, we understand that. And you're free to run your promotion as you see fit, but do please understand that if you don't make changes, I will be forced to intervene. I'd like to see appropriate compensation, insurance, medical care, all of the trappings. There was a snort behind the mask. Bane growled. You made a mistake in letting your guard dog release me. I am Bane and I could kill you, but instead I will simply break you. He leapt at Reddington, who sidestepped neatly, tripping him so his neck hit the middle rope. Reddington leaned a knee on the back of Bane's head, pressing his neck into the rope. I happened to spend some time in the ring myself. I don't pretend to have ever been a master of fighting, but I picked up what I needed and got rather good at a few things. I remember training in a little backyard in Tennessee. The height of the summer, cicadas screaming, the sweat running down your back in a constant stream. And the only way to cool down was pressing a can of beer to your cheek. I must have practiced my German suplexes so many times that I thought my hips would crack. He smiled and patted his soft belly. It's been a while since I've done a suplex, but I would advise you, Mr. Bane, not to try anything. You talk too much, Bane sneered, rolling sideways to get out from under Reddington's knee, standing and pulling Reddington towards him for a blow. Reddington spun into Bane, so his back was to Bane, one hand viciously reaching back to grab behind Bane's mask, the other wrenching Bane's neck. Reddington sharply pulled down, slamming Bane's face into the mat and falling back to land face up beside him. Bane curled inward, the mask driving aching pain through his head. Reddington sat up calmly. I may talk too much, but you certainly don't listen. I taught Mr. Orton his finisher, you know. <laughs> Not sure why Vincent had him change that middle name to Keith. I always thought Randall Kingsley Orton had a better ring to it. Clean up your promotion, Mr. Bain, and save me front row seats for next month. I've heard that Talia al Ghul is very promising. Nice. Yada da 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 fanfic. If you are at all familiar with the blacklist, you will know that one of the key components of the show is a remembered reverie from Raymond Reddington. That is <laughs> like a requirement of every episode. It, if you don't get one, you feel cheated. And thank you so much to Vladimir Duran for giving me this character. I really appreciated it. 
And thank you also to Neil for suggesting the other character in this. And if you're going, ah, why does Neil get to suggest all of them? Because Neil puts up with my bullshit all of the time and empties the dishwasher whenever I forget. So (laughs) if you want to subscribe at that level of Patreon, you can absolutely get your character choice in much more often. It's it's pretty high up there in terms of Patreon tiers. Uh, Well, thank you so much for that, Bob. Are you ready for some women's wrestling history? Oh my god, I forgot. I'm so excited. Yes. Every fifth episode, going back, this is now the seventh installment of women's wrestling history. We talk about the history of women's wrestling as seen through the lens of the history of WrestleMania, which is a thing that I've been working on for a while and uh, have been presenting here. Last time we talked about China. Mm-hmm which was a cool conversation despite everything that happened with her. And um, this time we are going to get into what happened after China left. So ask any wrestling fan who the greatest WWE women's champion of all time is. And most of them will probably say Trish Stratus. Mm. That fact in and of itself is remarkable. A fitness model from Toronto, Stratus spent the first year of her career as essentially eye candy, managing male wrestlers, distracting men with her looks, and engaging in one of the most demeaning storylines in WWE history. And yet, from that low point, she would rise to become the gravitational center of the women's division, anchoring it with her talent and putting on incredible match after incredible match. Her regular in-ring career lasted only five years. But in that time, Stratus, along with a criminally underrated supporting cast, it should be said, kept the division alive and thriving, despite WWE's clear lack of investment. In the process, she set the bar for American women's wrestling higher than it had ever been set before, and inspired a new generation of women to prove themselves worthy of her legacy. Trish Stratus made her debut on March 19, 2000, on a minor WWE show called Sunday Night Heat. She actually appeared twice on the episode, showing up ringside as a distraction during two different singles matches. The winners of those matches, a pair of wrestlers named Test and Prince Albert, a.k.a. Jason Albert, would immediately thereafter form a heel tag team called Test and Albert, TNA. Stratus was their manager, and it was clear from the very beginning that TNA was what Vince McMahon had in mind when he hired her. She was, after all, an extremely buxom blonde, and her outfits were designed to emphasize that fact. Mm. Both her appearances on that episode of Heat were punctuated by the audience chanting, We Want Puppies, a reference to announcer Jerry the King Lawler's personal slang term for breasts. Two weeks later, at WrestleMania 16, TNA were shown backstage prior to their match. The initial camera shot was an extreme close-up on Stratus' breasts, from which it eventually zoomed out to show all three members of the team. I see. Yeah, that's how it was. Stratus would never fully escape this sort of hypersexualization, even after she'd broken the record for women's championship reigns. To be fair, the extent to which she even tried to escape it is unclear. Her status as a great wrestler nonwithstanding she's always given the impression of being more than willing to present herself as a sex object, Hmm. indulging McMahon in his bizarre fetishes and fantasies. The most notorious example of this is her storyline with McMahon himself, leading up to WrestleMania 17. (laughs) Sorry, WrestleMania X7, which is the official name of it. Just after the Monday Night Wars formally came to a close with the folding of WCW and ECW. 
The almost unbelievably tone-deaf story saw Stratus and Vince cavorting as a romantic couple in front of Vince's comatose wife, <gasps> Linda. She's his wife in real life. She wasn't actually comatose in real life. Until, in a series of segments WWE would absolutely love for you to forget about, Vince turned on Trish, calling her a toy he'd finished playing with, having other wrestlers physically assault her, <gasps> dumping like some kind of slop on her, and forcing her to strip in the middle of the ring and bark like a dog. Oh my god. Yeah, it's really, really bad. Both Trish and Linda got a measure of revenge at WrestleMania, helping Shane McMahon defeat his father in their match, but it hardly excused the demeaning angle. And while Stratus was never asked to sink to such depths again, she never exactly shied away from her own objectification. Throughout her career, she continued to fill the role WWE had hired her to perform, with her wrestling ability incidental to her sex appeal. WrestleMania X7 was also the night that China defeated Ivory to become the WWF Women's Champion. A few weeks later, as her relationship with the WWF became increasingly irreparable, she was taken off television never to return, and for the next six months, the title was simply gone. WWF spent the majority of that period in the throes of the potentially interesting but poorly executed Invasion storyline, designed to incorporate newly hired WCW and ECW wrestlers into the WWF universe by having them quote-unquote invade their hmm. longtime rival. The two now-defunct companies had placed even less emphasis on women's wrestling than the WWF had. The highest-profile women brought in for the invasion were ex-WCW valets Tori Wilson and Stacey Keebler, who at that point had wrestled 18 televised matches between them, mostly mixed tags and matches with names like Down Underwear and Rip Off the Camouflage Mud. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I haven't seen that match. Their roles didn't change that much in WWF, as they predominantly competed in mixed tags and bra and panties matches and stuff like that, often against uh, Stratus. A few WWF wrestlers like Ivory and Molly Holly switched sides over to the WCW-ECW side to make things more interesting, but the decision had clearly been made to table the question of the women's title until after the Invasion storyline came to an end. On November 1st, 2001, the WWF Women's Championship was officially vacated, and later that month, at WWF's annual Survivor Series event, Trish Stratus won the title for the first time, defeating five other wrestlers in what they called a six-pack challenge match. Technically, the participants were evenly split between those representing the WWF and those representing the WCW-slash-ECW alliance, but Survivor Series was the final chapter in that storyline, with Team WWF naturally prevailing over Team Alliance in the main event and winning complete control of the company as a result. With the roster now unified, the six women who competed for the vacant championship became the foundation of the women's division for the next few years, though they were in very different places in their careers. Ivory and Jacqueline Moore were former champions whose best WWF years were behind them. Molly Holly, who at the time was the sidekick of the superhero wrestler The Hurricane, and was calling herself Mighty Molly, hmm. was on the cusp of reinventing both her look and her character, becoming a villainous prude, because in early aughts WWF, nothing got you booed more as a woman than refusing to take your clothes off. Hmm. Jazz, who had been part of ECW before it folded, 
made her WWF debut in the six-pack challenge match and would go on to become one of the most celebrated black wrestlers in history with a storied 20-year in-ring career that ended with her retirement in April 2021. She just retired. crap. Like the other day. (laughs) Uh, And then there was Lita, Trish Stratus's equal and opposite, a tattooed punk rock daredevil who had briefly won the women's title in 2000 in what was technically the first episode of Raw main evented by women, but who, like Stratus, had primarily been used as a valet and or as a romantic interest. The two women would rise to new heights together, eventually wrestling each other in the much more notable second episode of Raw main evented by women in 2004. With both the Monday Night Wars and the Invasion story over, 2002 was a year of massive transition for the WWF. For one thing, it wasn't the WWF anymore. After losing a lawsuit to the World Mm -hmm. Wildlife Fund, which is still funny, Vince was forced to change the name of his company to World Wrestling Entertainment, or WWE. 2002 also saw the beginning of the so-called Ruthless Aggression Era, in which the scandalous Attitude Era content was toned down somewhat in favor of actual wrestling, though there was still plenty of violence and plenty of objectification of women. While this version of the women's division did spend the first half of the aughts redefining what women's wrestling could be under Vince McMahon, they were also consistently buried under the weight of patriarchal bullshit. Lita's insane storylines over this period of time included uh, the time when she became pregnant with Kane's baby and was forced to marry him and hated it, but then suddenly got into it, and then she miscarried (gasps) after being accidentally knocked down by a guy named Gene Snitsky. Oh my god. Whose catchphrase from that point forward was, it wasn't my fault. (gasps) Holy (laughs) shit. And that's not even getting into the uncomfortable ways her storylines intersected with her real-life relationships with Edge and Matt Hardy, or the major injuries she suffered. Despite the fact that she was possibly the best wrestler we've mentioned so far, Molly Holly's slightly unconventional body type made her an object of ridicule for years, with commentator Jerry Lawler being particularly cruel to her. Mm. And even as WWE women's matches were getting longer and better, the division getting deeper, and Stratus emerging as a major standard bearer of the ruthless aggression era, the company was in the process of unveiling the WWE Diva Search an ominous harbinger of what the future would hold. Mm. We will talk more about Trish Stratus and this era of uh, WWE wrestling, the Ruthless Aggression era, the Diva Search, all of that, on the next episode of Women's Wrestling History, which will be coming your way in episode 55. All right, thank you. And uh, as for this edition, Bob's fanfic will be presented Two episodes from now, yeah. as uh, next episode, we have a guest that we're very excited about. We do! I'm very excited about it. It's going to be great. All right, Bob. Well, uh, we've come to the end of our show, but of course, we cannot leave before we complete the Cheap Pop Quiz. All right. And uh, Bob now has 10 points here in round five. So question number one. How many new tag teams with full entrances appear on the next episode? Is it A, 1, B, 2, C, 3, D, 4, or E, just kidding, this is NXT, there are no new tag teams? Oh, Miles, you bastard. All right. I'm 
hopeful. It's going to be B2. Okay, B2 is your answer. Question number two. The next episode includes a match between Camacho and one of Adam Rose's rosebuds. Aww. Which rosebud gets in the ring? Is it A, the gladiator-looking dude played by pre-crisis Braun Strowman? Pre-crisis. B, the Waldo-looking dude with the hat and the mustache. C, the pirate with the duct tape bandana. Ooh. D, the guy dressed up like a luchador superhero. Or E, the guy in the bunny suit. I'm feeling the pirate guy. I I think there's some potential there. Okay, the pirate with the duct tape bandana is your answer. Who definitely will be a thing in NXT years from now. <laughs> Question number three. The next episode also features the official in-ring debut of Alexa Bliss. <gasps> what is her gimmick? Is it A, she's basically Tinkerbell. Okay. B, she's basically Harley Quinn. C, she's literally a cheerleader. <gasps> D, she chews bubblegum and comes to the ring on roller skates. Or E, she doesn't really have a gimmick, but she has wrestling gear and she's happy to be here. I'm going to say cheerleader. Cheerleader. All right. Haven't had one of those yet. Seems like uh, they were leaving stuff on the table if they don't do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'm, you know what she looks like, so she would be a good fit for that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, come back on the next episode to get the answers to this edition of the Cheap Pop Quiz. See if Bob picked up any points. And uh, thanks for joining us for episode number 50. Yeah. Five up. Well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan, our 50th episode. Thank you so much for joining me for 50 episodes of this show. I find it fascinating that we started out with our feelings as strong as they were about various characters. And now here we are 50 episodes later, have gone hard reverse on many of our original positions. Seriously. (laughs) It's like it's possible to grow and learn as a person. When we started out 50 episodes ago, it was just the two of us. Yep. And uh, now we've got a whole group of people following along with us and contributing to our efforts and helping us out. And we just really appreciate all of you who helped make the show possible. Uh, Talking about, in this case, our patrons, people who go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and chip in a little bit of money to uh, help compensate us for the work that we do. Because this show does take work, actually. You might not (laughs) think so. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, we could get into the complexities of editing, but it's boring. That's why people don't like doing it. Yeah, we don't have time for that right now, Bob, because actually we have some breaking news to discuss. Gasp. In the form of a new Next Wrestling Fan Federation champion. Oh my goodness. We're going to see a new belt soon. That's right. Neil has been dethroned. Oh. And the new champion, I'm so excited to see what this individual's reign looks like. Our new champion, Bob, is Cosmica. (gasps) The Lightspeed Luchador. Oh man, that belt is going to be all space and shiny and interesting. It's going to be made of a metal. Glowy. From beyond the stars. It's like if Aerostar from Lucha Underground won the like WWE championship and they'd make a new belt for him that's like all glowy and light up. 
I want to that little light bright thing that you have as a kid. I want that the belt to be like that. That's I'm very excited about this. Cosmica, I want to buy your belt. <laughs> Chuck Rogers, our uh, our patron, recently upgraded to the ten dollar level, which meant that Cosmica got to win the championship, and uh, they will be our champion for the foreseeable future until, of course, the Lightspeed Luchador is dethroned. By one of you. Anybody mm. thinks that you have what it takes to take this spacefaring, mask-wearing... This dynamite of a luchador. Anybody thinks you have what it takes to take on Cosmica. All you have to do is go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan, and donate at the $10 or higher level. Or if you are an existing patron, as Chuck was, you may up your pledge and win the championship in that manner. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you, everybody who has contributed to our show. We cannot tell you how much we appreciate you. And if you do up your pledge, you will definitely get one of those postcards in the mail sent to you because we signed extras because we knew that some of you might come in late and we wanted to make sure that you still get that beautiful, beautiful postcard. Yes. And uh, this is the speaking of Patreon stuff. This is the obligatory part of the show where one of us informs you that that thing you've been waiting for will be here <laughs> before the next episode. In this case, it's my turn on the block. What if Cats But Pro Wrestling will be up on Patreon prior to the release of episode 51? You can set your watches by it. I don't know why you would, but you could. I love that we're the shitty uncles who <laughs> are like, no, I'll definitely be there for your birthday, sport. I'm totally going to be there. And then we're like, Oh, man, I'm sorry. Something came up at work. I had I'll to get back on the road. be there in 45 minutes. I'm on my way. Oh, my God. That's us. <laughs> Your shitty podcast uncles who love you very much and want to show you wrestling. Oh, my Lord. I think that is, that is an accurate description, an accurate metaphor for this podcast. Thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you to all of you who are listening without being patrons. That's yeah. totally fine. We understand. Oh, we yeah. love you equally. Absolutely. Money's a whole thing, man. Yeah, fucking capitalism is a, is a trip. So uh, thanks for just hanging out with us, riding along, and we will see you in two weeks with a new episode, a very special episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Ciao! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman and Megan Bob, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo, spelled the French way. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook as The Next Wrestling Fan and in the group The Smash Fiction Fan Faction. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The Next Wrestling Fan is made possible by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us make this show possible, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fabulous stable of contributors. They're the best! If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.